Chapter 8 of Lover or Friend by Rosa Carey I hope better things of Audrey. Your man is always under examination, by committees little suspected, the police and citizens' clothes, who are awarding or denying you very high prizes when you least think of it. Emerson Mrs. Harcourt had had a successful afternoon. All the nicest people had been at home, and a great many pleasant things had been said to her. Her mother had been a charming companion. Nevertheless, there was a slight cloud on Mrs. Harcourt's face as she walked through the shrubbery that led to her house, and the fold of care was still on her brow as she entered her husband's study, a pleasant room on the ground floor overlooking the garden. Mr. Harcourt was reading, but he put down his magazine and greeted his wife with a smile. He was just rising from his seat, but she prevented him by laying her hand on his shoulder. Don't move, Percival. You look so comfortable. I will sit by you a minute. I hope I'm not interrupting you. Such an interruption is only pleasant, my dear, was the polite answer. Well, have you and Audrey had a nice afternoon? Mother came with me. Audrey had some ridiculous engagement with the Blakes. Percival, I am growing seriously uneasy at this new vagary on Audrey's part. Would you believe it? She has been the whole afternoon at the Grey Cottage helping those children. And Michael has been there too. We met them just now. Mr. Harcourt raised his eyebrows. He was evidently surprised at this bit of news, though he took it with his usual philosophy. Never mind, Jerry, he said kindly, after a glance at his wife's vexed face. We cannot always inoculate people with our own common sense. Audrey was always inclined to go her own gait. Geraldine blushed. She always did when her husband called her Jerry. Not that she minded it from him, but if anyone else, one of the boys, for example, were to hear it, the dignified mistress of the house felt she would never have got over it. In her unmarried days, no one had presumed to call her anything but Geraldine or Gage, and yet before three months were over, her husband had invented this nickname for her. It is no use fretting over it, he went on in the same equable voice. You and Audrey are very different people, my love. Yes, but, Percy dear, it is so trying of Audrey to take up the very people that Mother and I were so anxious to avoid. I declare I am quite sorry for Mother. She said, very truly, how is she to keep an intrusive person like Mrs. Blake at a distance, now Audrey has struck up this violent friendship with her? She has even taken Michael there, for, of course, he would never go of his own accord. I am so vexed about it all. It has quite spoilt my afternoon. Burnett was on the cricket field a great part of the afternoon, returned Mr. Harcourt. I saw him talking to Charrington and Sayers. Then she must have asked him to fetch her replied Geraldine, with an air of decision that evidently amused her husband. For Michael told us of his own accord that he had been having tea at the cottage. It is really very foolish and incautious of Audrey, after Edith's hint, too. I wish you would tell her, Percival, for she only laughs at my advice. And you think she would listen to me, still with the same amused curl of the lip? I think she ought to listen to you, dear, a man of your experience and knowledge of the world. If you would give her a little of your mind... It is so absurd for a grown-up person to behave like an impulsive child. Michael is particular in some things, but he spoils Audrey dreadfully. He and father encourage her. It is your duty, Percival, to act a brother's part by her and guide her for her own good. Geraldine was evidently in earnest, and Mr. Harcourt forbore to smile as he answered her. But if she refused to be guided by me, my dear? Oh, I hope better things of Audrey, replied Geraldine in such a solemn voice that her husband laughed outright, though he drew down her face to his the next minute and kissed it. You are a good girl to believe in your husband. 
I don't envy Audrey's future spouse. He will have much to bear. Audrey is too philanthropic, too unpractical altogether for a smooth domestic life. We are different people, as I said before. Come, cheer up, darling. If I find it possible to say a word in season, you may trust me to do so. Ah, there is the dressing bell. And Mr. Hawkard rose and stretched himself and began gathering up his papers as a hint to his wife that the subject was concluded. Audrey was not so unreasonable as her sister supposed. She had no intention of placing herself in direct opposition to her family. On the contrary, she was somewhat troubled by Geraldine's chilling reception that afternoon. Michael had stopped the carriage and informed the ladies of the manner in which he and Audrey had spent their afternoon. "'We have both been having tea at the Grey Cottage,' he said cheerfully. "'I hope you have spent as pleasant an afternoon, Gage.' That youngster, Kester, they call him, is a bright, intelligent lad, and Molly is a nice child. Oh, indeed, was Geraldine's reply. I am afraid we are late, Michael, and must drive on. And then she nodded to Audrey, but there was no pleasant smile on her face. Gage is put out with us both, observed Audrey, as they turned in at Woodcott. I shall be in for another lecture, Michael. Audrey had no wish to be a bugbear for her family. For several reasons she thought it politic to avoid the grey cottage for a day or two. Molly must not depend on her too much. When her mother and Geraldine had called, and Mrs. Blake was on visiting terms with them, things would be on a pleasanter footing. She was somewhat surprised when Sunday came to find Mr. Blake was the sole representative of his family in the school chapel. She had looked for the widow and her children in the morning, and again in the afternoon, and as she exchanged greetings with Cyril in the courtyard after service, she could not refrain from questioning him on the subject. "'I hope Mrs. Blake has not another headache,' she asked rather abruptly as he came up to her, looking very handsome and distinguished in his cap and gown, and again Audrey remembered her unlucky speech about the Greek god. Cyril seemed a little embarrassed. "'Oh, no, she is quite well, only a little tired. She has rather knocked herself up. Kester had a touch of his old pain, so I told him not to come.' "'In Molly?' But Cyril did not appear to hear the question. "'Oh, will you excuse me?' he observed the next moment, rather hurriedly. I think Mrs. Charrington is waiting for me. She asked me to go to the schoolhouse to tea. And as he left her, Audrey found herself obliged to join her sister and Mrs. Harcourt. Have you many people coming to you tomorrow afternoon? asked Geraldine as they walked on together. Only the Loptons and Fortescues, and Mr. Owen and Herr Schatman. Owen, I forgot, father asked Mr. Blake. Audrey spoke a little absently. They were passing the grey cottage. A blind was just then raised in one of the lower rooms and a small pale face peeped eagerly out at the passers-by. Audrey smiled and waved her hand in a friendly manner, and a bright, answering smile lighted up the girlish face. "'What an untidy-looking child,' remarked Geraldine carelessly. "'Is that your protégé?' And then she continued in a reproving tone. "'It is really disgraceful that none of the family were in chapel. Edith was right when she spoke of Mrs. Blake's mismanagement of her children. That poor girl had a most neglected look.' Audrey did not answer. She thought it wiser to allow her sister's remark to pass unchallenged. She had a shrewd suspicion why Molly was not in chapel. The shabby, outgrown frock had probably kept her at home. Poor little thing, she thought with a fresh access of pity, for Molly had certainly looked very forlorn. And then she turned her attention with some difficulty to what Geraldine was saying. Dr. Ross was famed for his hospitality, and both he and his wife loved to gather the young people of Rutherford about them. On Monday afternoons during the summer there was always tennis on the woodcut lawn. One or two of the families from the hill houses, and perhaps a bachelor master or two, 
made up a couple of sets. The elder ladies liked to watch the game, or to stroll about the beautiful grounds. Mrs. Ross was an excellent hostess. She loved to prepare little surprises for her guests, iced drinks or strawberries and cream. Geraldine generally presided at her mother's tea-table. Audrey would be among the players. Tennis parties and garden parties of all kinds were common enough in Rutherford, but those at Woodcott certainly carried off the palm. Mr. Harcourt had always been considered one of the best players, but on the Monday in question he found himself ranged against no mean antagonist, and he was obliged to own that young Blake played superbly. "'You would have won every game this afternoon if you had had a better partner,' observed Audrey as she and Cyril walked across the lawn. She had been playing with him the greater part of the afternoon and had been much struck with his quiet and finished style. "'My brother-in-law has always been considered our champion player, but you certainly excel him.' "'I've had a great deal of practice,' returned Cyril modestly. "'I think you're wrong about our respective powers. Mr. Harcourt plays exceedingly well, being so much younger. I'm a little more agile, that is all.' "'Yes, and you would have beaten him this last game, but for me, I have played worse than usual this afternoon.' "'You must not expect me to endorse that opinion, Miss Ross. I have never seen any lady play half so well. You took that last ball splendidly. Now we have exchanged these mutual compliments. May I ask you to show me the lake?' Kester gave me a tremendous description of it when he came home today. Captain Burnett put him in the punt, and he seems to have had a grand time altogether. Oh, I heard all about it at luncheon. It is good of your cousin to take all this trouble, went on Cyril in a lower voice as he walked down one of the terraces. I was quite taken aback when he spoke to me yesterday. I thought he could not be in earnest. You know, he asked me to go up to his private room after luncheon, and we had a long talk until it was time to go to chapel. "'Would it be possible for your brother to come here two or three times a week, Mr. Blake?' "'Oh, yes, he can manage that short distance, at least when he is pretty well, and the change will be so good for him. It's quite a load of my mind to know he will learn mathematics as well as Greek and Latin. You have no idea, Miss Ross, how clever that boy is. If he had only my opportunities, he would beat me hollow in no time. I tell my mother so, but she will not believe it. But she thinks with me that it is awfully good of your cousin to interest himself in Kester.' "'It will be a godsend to Michael,' returned Audrey. "'You see, my cousin's health is so bad that he cannot employ himself, "'and he is debarred from so much enjoyment. "'He helps my father a good deal with the boys when he is here, "'but sometimes the noise is too much for him. "'It will suit him far better to study quietly with your brother. "'Of course, he meant to be kind. "'He is always doing good to someone or other, "'but this time the kindness will benefit himself. "'He quite enjoyed his morning. "'He told me so in a tone as though he meant it, "'and Kester looked.' ever so much brighter. What comfortable quarters Captain Burnett has. I'd no idea he had a private sitting room, and he tells me he has rooms in town as well. Yes, but we do not let him use them often that we can help. It is so dull for him to be alone. My father is anxious for him to live altogether at Woodcott. He thinks the Rutherford air suits him so much better than that of town, but Michael cannot be persuaded to give up his rooms. I tell him it is all his pride and that he wishes to be independent of us. He is your father's cousin, you say? "'Yes, and he is just like his son,' returned Audrey, wondering why Mr. Blake looked at her so intently. "'You know, I told you that we looked upon Michael as our own brother. Here we are at the pond or lake, as we prefer to call it, and there are the swans, Snowflake and Eiderdown, as I have christened them.' "'It is a charming spot,' observed Cyril, leaning over the fence to look at the beautiful creatures. He was quite unaware, as he lounged there, that he added another picturesque effect to the landscape.' his bright blue coat and peaked cap making a spot of colour against Audrey's white gown. So that is the island where Kester found the forget-me-nots for Molly. It looks as though one could carry it off bodily in one's arms. 
he continued, after a reflective pause. Mr. Blake, I will not permit such remarks, returned Audrey, laughing. I have often paddled myself about the lake. At least it is deep enough to drown one. Now tell me how Molly is. Molly is inconsolable, because she has not seen you for two whole days. She spent most of the morning at the window in the hope of seeing you pass. Nonsense. Oh, it is a fact, I assure you. My mother told me so herself. Will there be any chance of you looking in tomorrow, Miss Ross? I am going back now, and I am sure such a message would make Molly happy for the remainder of the evening. Audrey smiled. I do not think I will send the message, Mr. Blake. I half thought of calling on some friends of mine who live a little way out of Rutherford, but if I have time... She paused, not quite knowing how to finish her sentence. Well, I will say nothing about it, he returned quickly. You have been far too good to us already. Molly must not presume on your kindness. And then he took up his racket. Why are you leaving us so early, Mr. Blake? There is surely time for another game. Thanks, I must not stop any longer now. My mother asked me to take her for a walk, and as Kester can do without me this evening, I promised that I would. And you will take Molly? It's such a pretty walk across the fields to Everdeen Wood, if Mrs. Blake does not mind a few styles. Molly will not, I am sure. I think Molly will prefer to stay with Kester, he replied quickly. I am sorry to leave so early, Miss Ross, but one does not like to disappoint other people. I begin to think you are one of the unselfish ones, thought Audrey as she gave him her hand. Then aloud, you must come to us next Monday, Mr. Blake, for I am sure my brother-in-law will want his revenge. Ah, there is Booty, so of course his master is not far off. I will go and meet him. Then she nodded to Cyril and turned off into a side path, just as Captain Burnett came in sight. Are they still playing, Michael? No, Harcourt wants to be off. He and Gage are to dine at the Fortescues, so they have agreed to break up earlier. Why is Blake leaving us so soon? Your father proposed that he should be asked to dinner. I don't think he would be persuaded she replied, wishing that she had not taken him so easily at his word. He has promised to take his mother for a walk. He is really a very good son. Most young men care only about their own pleasure. I think I like him, returned Michael in his slow, considering tone. We had a smoke together yesterday up in my room, and I confess he interested me. He seems to feel his responsibility, so with respect to that poor boy. He was very grateful to me for my proposed help, and said so in a frank, manly fashion that somehow pleased me. I am so glad you like him, Michael, and Audrey's tone expressed decided pleasure. Oh, we shall hit it off very well, I expect, but I dare say we shall not see very much of each other. He goes in for cricket and makes tremendous scores, I hear, and the hillhouses will soon monopolize him. He's too good-looking a fellow not to be a favorite with the ladies, eh, Audrey? I am sure I don't know, returned Audrey, who could be a trifle dense when she chose. I do not think Mr. Blake is a lady's man, if that is what you mean. Don't you detest the genus, Michael? Do I not? was the expressive answer, and then he went on. I am quite of your opinion that Blake is a nice gentlemanly fellow, but I think that brother of his is still more interesting. Poor little chap. He has plenty of brains. He is sharp as some fellows of nineteen or twenty. Blake is clever enough, but one of these days Kester will make his mark. He has a perfect thirst for knowledge. I drew him out this morning, for he only had a pretense at work. You should have heard him talk. That is exactly his brother's opinion, returned Audrey, and she repeated Cyril's words. Michael was evidently struck by them. He seems very fond of him, and for the matter of that, the poor boy is devoted to his brother. I suppose that accident has made a link between them. I do not know that I ever took so much interest in your protégés before. By the by, what has become of the O'Briens, Audrey? I am going to see them tomorrow. I know what that inquiry means, Michael. You think I am always so much taken up with new people that I forget my old friends. But you are wrong. And then she added a little reproachfully, 
that you of all people should accuse me of fickleness. Captain Burnett smiled a little gravely. You are investing my words with too large a meaning. I do not think you are in the least fickle. It is only your headlong sympathies that carry you away. But as Audrey looked a little mystified over this speech, he continued, I would not have you neglect a Mr. O'Brien for the world. I only wish Vineyard Cottage was a mile or two nearer, and I would often smoke a pipe in that earwiggy barrow of his. I have profound respect for Thomas O'Brien. I love a man who lives up to his profession and is not above his business, a retired tradesman who tries to forget he was ever behind the counter and who goes through life aping the manners of gentlefolk with a poor sort of body in my eyes. He is neither fish fowl nor good red herring. Now Mr. O'Brien is as proud of being a corn chandler as he paused for a simile, as our drummer boy was belonging to the British Army. Poor old man, he has seen a peck of trouble, as he calls it. There, you see, interrupting her delightedly. His very language borrows his most powerful imagery from his past belongings. Do you or I, Audrey, in our wildest and most despairing moments, ever talk of a peck of trouble? Depend upon it, my dear, when Thomas made that speech he was among his bins again, in his mind's eye he was measuring out his oats and beans. I think I hear him repeating again what he once said to me. It is such a clean, wholesome business, Captain. I often dream I am back in the shop again, with my wife laying the tea in the back parlour. I can feel the grain slithering between my fingers, and even the dropping of the peas on the counter out of the overfilled bags is as plain as possible. Matt always did his work so awkwardly. I don't think he's ever got over the loss of his wife, Michael. Oh, of course not. Is he likely to do so with Mrs. Baxter's lugubrious countenance opposite him morning, noon, and night? I don't wonder her husband ran away from her. It would take a deal of principle to put up with such a trying woman. Michael, I will not have you so severe on our friends. Mrs. Baxter is a very good woman, and she takes great care of her father. We can't all be gifted with good spirits. Poor Priscilla Baxter is a disappointed woman. Michael shrugged his shoulders, but he was spared making any reply, as just then they encountered Geraldine and her husband. They were evidently looking for Audrey. "'Are you going, Gage?' observed Audrey serenely. "'I was just coming up to the house to wish you good-bye. Only Michael detained me.' "'I thought you were with Mr. Blake,' returned her sister in a puzzled tone. "'I wish you would come up to luncheon tomorrow. I have scarcely spoken two words to you this afternoon. Edith is coming.' "'It will be a pity to interrupt your tete-a-tete,' returned Audrey pleasantly. "'Mrs. Bryce has always so much to say.' and she comes so seldom. And as her sister's face clouded, she continued, I will run up for an hour on Wednesday, but I really cannot neglect Mr. O'Brien any longer. He will have been looking for me day after day. Oh, if you are going to Vineyard Cottage, in a mollified tone that Audrey perfectly understood, you will have tea there, of course. Do you think Mrs. Baxter would let me come away without my tea? returned Audrey quickly. She was inwardly somewhat annoyed at this questioning. She had meant to go to the grey cottage on her way, but now she must give that up. Molly must watch for her a little longer. Perhaps she could go to Hillside in the morning and keep her afternoon free. And as she came to this conclusion, she bade her sister an affectionate goodbye. But as Geraldine took her husband's arm in the steep shrubbery walk, she said in a dissatisfied tone, I am glad we found her with Michael, but all the same she and Mr. Blake were partners all the afternoon. My dear Geraldine, returned Mr. Harcourt with assumed solemnity. I think Audrey may be trusted to manage her own little affairs. She is two and twenty, is she not? When you have daughters of your own, my love, I am quite sure you will manage them excellently, and no young man will have a chance of speaking to them. But with Audrey it is another matter. 
and then in a tragic undertone. Have you forgotten, wife mine, a certain afternoon when you did me the honour of playing with me three whole sets, and then we cooled ourselves down by the lake until your father hunted us out? Geraldine pressed her husband's arm gently. She remembered that afternoon well, and all Percival had said to her they had just come to an understanding when her father interrupted them. For one moment her face softened at the sweet remembrance, and then she roused herself to remonstrate. But, Percy, dear, this is utterly different. Audrey would never dream of falling in love with Mr. Blake. Fancy a girl in her position encouraging the attentions of a junior master. No, indeed, I was only afraid of a little flirtation. Of course, Audrey declares she never flirts, but she has such a way with her. She is too kind in her manner sometimes. It is to be hoped that she will not break as many hearts as a certain young person I know, eh, Jerry? And Geraldine blushed and held her peace. She never liked to be reminded of the unlucky wooers who had shaken off the dust of Woodcart so sorrowfully. As to Mr. Harcourt, he delighted in these proofs of conquests. Geraldine had not been easy to win. She had given her lover plenty of trouble, but she was his now, and, as he often told himself, no man had ever been more fortunate in his choice. But Mr. Harcourt, in spite of his delight in teasing, was very deeply in love with his beautiful wife. 